Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 227, where we interview Steve Adcock and talk about life after retirement. I didn't exactly know what I wanted. I just knew what I didn't want. And I think a lot of people out there really wrap their heads around that. In fact, at one point, I honestly considered quitting my $120,000 job to get, to get my CDL and become a truck driver. That was something that was on my, my plate for something that I might want to do because I just really wasn't happy with, with what I was doing. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my Can Bench Press 225 Pounds co-host, Scott Trench. You're always raising the bar with these new intros, Mindy. Thank you. <laughs> Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel to remote Arizona, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business or travel the world, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Good one, Scott. I didn't properly laugh long enough. That was very funny. Um, I really am excited to talk to Steve Adcock today because we don't talk to so many people who have reached financial independence and what their life looks like afterwards. And Steve has been retired for almost five years. So he has a pretty good taste of what it's like to be retired and can, I think, can speak from a position of authority what it is what he expected and what actually happened. Yeah, I, I think, you know, if, uh, you know, we spend very little time today on the actual journey to retirement. And I don't think I don't think we're going to learn quite as much from his journey to retirement. What I think the value of this episode is, is in learning about what the finish line looks like and what retirement looks like for someone that has achieved this early in life. And I hope that you can learn a lot from that and take a lot of inspiration and see the magic that this can have on 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 your happiness, day to day life, and and impact on society as well. I think he's having a positive impact on society even as he's an early retiree. So I, I love the episode. It was a different take than we usually do, um, but I hope that you find it inspiring and motivating. Yeah, you know, uh, like you said, Scott, his story to get to financial independence. He did the same things that everybody else does. He spent less than he earned. He invested wisely. He made a lot of money. And I hope that people listen to this and don't take so much away that he and his wife made a lot of money. He's in IT. She's a rocket scientist, like a real scientist with rockets. She, you, you don't make a dollar fifty an hour doing that. So they're timeline to get to financial independence was very quick. And like you said, that's not what we're here learning. We're learning about what happens afterwards. Mm -hmm. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. 
At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Steve Adcock, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thanks very much. I've been looking forward to it for really as long as I've been FI. <laughs> <laughs> and how long have you been FI? Well, it's it's almost five years. So I would say we really reached our the beginning of our FI life, I guess, in 2016. Um, and it's been an interesting journey since then. Uh, but that was really our first taste of what all this well, what all this is really like and what it means to us. Okay. Steve is actually retired, which is awesome. We haven't talked to a lot of people who have been retired. But Steve, I want to know how you got there. Where does your journey with money begin? Yeah, it's um, I, I worked in information technology for my entire career. It started in 2005 when I graduated from college with a degree in information technology. Um, so from the onset, I've always made good money. I've, I've never tried it, tried to make my story out to be some rags to riches kind of thing. It just wasn't that I, I, I had a great upbringing. I had loving parents. I really have no complaints about my childhood. And right from the first day I set foot in an office, I did make pretty good money, but I wasn't always smart with my money. I budgeted a little bit. I saved the 4% in my uh, company-sponsored traditional 401k just to get the company match. Um, but I basically spent the rest. So I did the bare minimum for the large majority of my career, except for maybe the last five or six years where I really started to get my butt in gear and invest as much as I can. We would max out our 401ks and Roth IRAs and things like that. But for the majority of it, it was earn and spend, earn and spend. I had the supercharged Corvette. So, I had the Yamaha R1 race bike. I had the house in the suburbs. I had all of these things that I thought made me happy. How, how long was your career? It was, well, I, it was, it started in 2005 and it ended in 2006, the end of 2016. So about 11 years working in IT. Okay. And and how how can we get an idea of like income at the beginning and end? Um, yeah, that and the trajectory my there? very first salary was fifty five thousand dollars, and especially back in two thousand five, that's pretty darn good. Um, and by the end of my career, it was about a hundred and thirty five thousand, I think, a year. So not bad. Um, a lot of people have been able to increase their salary way more than I have, but I mean, I was happy with with raises every few years and just, just worked out fine for me. So always made good money, but nothing, nothing exceptional. Yeah. So, so that's not, that's not, you know, something that's unrepeatable. I think for a lot of listeners is to have a career with, with the, that kind of income trajectory on that. And it sounds like you were, um, spending like a sailor on some of these, some of these, uh, the, these fun things for a little bit of it. <laughs> Yeah, um, with that yeah. as well. So I, I'm really interested. How did you? How did you? How did you retire in 11 years on this? So. Well, yeah, and so I met my wife and well, my soon-to-be wife in 2013, and things progressed from there. And then we got married, and that was really that was really the point where we started to put the pieces into place because she was she also worked in IT. She was she's a rocket scientist, an actual rocket scientist. Um, so I married up like. <laughs> There's, I don't know how else to say it. I so married up. But so at that point, we had a decision to make. We had two pretty darn good salaries and we could make a choice. We could either have the vacation home, you know, live a, a large glamorous life, buy a, you know, a sports car, a luxury car or whatever, or we can put our money together and save as much as we possibly can and do something else with our life, something that we liked to do a little bit better. I never had all that much satisfaction out of my job. IT just drained the life out of me. Even though it paid well, it drained the life out of me. Um, my wife wasn't 
so hateful or resentful of her job. And maybe resentful is not the right word, Um, but she was okay working, but she was always willing to entertain a better offer. So ultimately we decided to not live like rock stars and put our money to good use for us for the last five or six years of our working careers. We saved almost 70%, that's seven zero percent of two pretty good IT salaries. And that adds up really fast. So what was the position that you guys both brought into the marriage? Um, from an income perspective or, or from a, a baby, you know, net worth or in that, in that, th- those types of things. Yeah. I was about 110 or so when we got married and she was at, I would, I want to say about 90. So there's a little bit of differential, but really not much. Um, and our net worths were about, I don't know, maybe I had 250 and I think she was around there maybe maybe even a little bit higher um so we we were we were relatively equal um so we didn't really have any of the you know income conflicts that that some spouses might might grapple with we didn't really have you know that that to contend with so we we certainly lucked out from that perspective okay and 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 did you move in conjunction like how how did you facilitate that that lifestyle and how did that compare to the peers your peers we do yeah um ultimately we lived in tucson arizona at the time and that's a relatively low cost of living i had a house in the suburbs that i moved out of i moved in with my wife courtney in her house we rented my house for a year so we did the 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 whole landlord thing for a year didn't really like it. So we ended up selling my house. We kept my wife's house that, that we lived in the end of, well, I guess it was 2017. We sold the house, my wife's house. So now we have no house, all that, that extra money coming in, bought an Airstream and decided to more or less travel the country for a living Without a house, that was it. Our Airstream was it. So we lived in this 200 square foot um, com- confining in some ways space, but we loved almost every minute of it. Minute of it. We got to see a lot of the country. But the benefit of, of an RV or mobile kind of lifestyle is you could almost make it as cheap as you want. You don't have to stay in campgrounds. You could stay out in the middle of nowhere and pay zero for camping fees, um, which is always nice. And as long as you control your expenses with diesel and the food that you buy, um, you have a lot of control over your expenses when you don't have that house to, to pay for. So for us, that was a big part of reducing our lifestyle enough to be able to um, rationalize, I guess, or justify retiring early when we did at our net worth. So, so I'm getting a picture of in 2013, you guys get married, you have a net worth somewhere in the ballpark of 250 to 500, maybe somewhere in that ballpark range um, combined. And you're like, how am I going to crush the end state to retirement, which happens in three years from then? Is that is that generally right? Yeah, well, yeah, it was it was oh, about two fifty a piece. So our our combined net worth was a, a little over five hundred k. I want to say, so it was a little bit higher than that. Okay, but yeah, I mean, you're the the that delta. Like, what do we do from here to there to actually you know boost our income enough to make this to make this viable? And that's really where tracking our expenses, which was not fun. But again, I married a rocket scientist who loves spreadsheets and boy, boy, the spreadsheets. We could have told you exactly how much we spent on sweet potatoes for about two years straight on sweet potatoes, not just grocery store spending, but specifically like each and everything we bought, we tracked it meticulously. So we knew what we were spending a little bit too much on or what we might actually be able to spend more on. Um, But like I said before, 70% of two incomes, two IT incomes, that adds up so fast. Maxing out a 401ks, maxing out a Roth IRA, raise, opening a brokerage account, funneling every cent that we can possibly muster into these um, investment accounts, that that is absolutely what set us up uh, to retire when we did. So we sacrificed a little bit in the short term with the hopes of having a long 
um, I guess, long, happy life outside of a traditional office. Did you have like an end state in mind that you had been backing into from the very beginning or was there, how did that work? I didn't exactly know what I wanted. I just knew what I didn't want. And I think a lot of people out there can, can wrap, can really wrap their heads around that. Um, in fact, at one point I honestly considered quitting my $120,000 job to get, to get my CDL and become a truck driver. That was, that was, that was something that was on my, my plate for something that I might want to do because I just really wasn't happy with, with what I was doing. Um, but my story, I think meshes with a lot of other early retirement stories. I started to read a lot of this financial independence stuff. I stumbled onto Mr. Money Mustache's blog and he has a writing style that I really connected with. I mean, he cusses in his blog posts. I did too. He has a very informal way of kind of in your face kind of writing style, which really connected with me. Um, he was a software developer too. Our stories really connected and it's like, well, maybe this is more possible than we think. I mean, we're going to have to make changes, but if he can do it, you know, I'm married to a spouse who makes almost as much money as I do too. So it should be even easier for us. So let's, let's see what we can do here. Let's see if we can make this work. So what, what was your, uh, uh, you know, I, I, the, after the grind is completed, you're, you're approaching some number in net worth or spending or whatever, where mm -hmm. I imagine you become comfortable with the idea of actually doing it with that. What, what does that process look like for you? And, and your it was, state? Yeah, so we use the Trinity four percent rule as a guideline, as a baseline, and I don't, I don't really like to think of it as a rule because it's not a rule. There are so many nuances to that, but that was just our ballpark figure, and we were thinking traveling in an airstream, we could probably spend thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars a year and be reasonably comfortable. So that's where we we started our number journey, like what do we have to hit before we actually called it quits? And when, when I quit my job, our combined net worth was $870,000, which is way below most people's comfort zone, but we're also more risk tolerant. We have high in-demand skills. So if everything hits the fan, we can go back to work and, and, and make some extra money. Uh, so for us, we had that as our fallback. Uh, so that's kind of where we we really initially decided, you know, what our number has to be uh, before we before we do this. So I quit at eight hundred and seventy thousand dollars. My wife continued to work for the next six months to not leave her team in a lurch. So we probably added another 50, 50 grand to that. So when we actually set sail, sold the house, set sail, um, we were at about nine. Uh, nine thirty, nine twenty, something like that. And how old were you guys at this point? I was thirty-five, and my wife was thirty-three. Okay, so you're achieving financial independence in ten, twelve years after starting your career with this kind of stuff at at that level. Um, how, how do you how do you do, how how mechanically do you go about funding early retirement? Do you have a do you have a, a cash reserve as part of that? Do you begin withdrawing on the funds? Like how does that work? Yeah, a lot of people have different philosophies on this, but ours is is actually relatively simple. We have a larger than normal savings account. We keep almost sixty thousand dollars, well sixty to eighty thousand dollars usually in our savings account. So that's not invested. That's in a savings account, which is more than a lot of people would keep. But for us, that makes us comfortable that we can live off of that that money if the stock market really dips. We are heavy index fund investors. So the last couple of years, we've been doing great money hand over fist. We're just swimming in it. But when the other shoe drops, I mean, we're not going to be doing so great. When the market falls, we also don't do very well. We lost $220,000 last year after the dip when coronavirus really started to, to, to make its full impact. Um, so that's just a risk. That's just part of how we, how we do this. Um, so we do sell stocks sometimes. Um, I have a little side hustle income. I have an ebook. I mean, we don't, don't make a lot of money with that stuff, but a YouTube channel as well. So these little bits of side hustle income coming in really does help us to supplement uh, our, our spending. But from that, the side hustle income, 
come to selling some stocks here and there when we need to, keeping our lifestyle as low as possible. Um, those things add up into into how we fund our early retirement lifestyle day to day. You know, you should have listened to Mindy because she called the dip. Um, I think the week before it happened. Is that right, Mindy? It was. It was uh, that fall before, but I called it to the day, not accounting for um, the uh, the leap year. Doesn't matter. It was, if was, <laughs> it was a total joke. I'm like, oh, yeah. stock market's going to crash on the 13th, and it was actually the 14th. Um, <sighs> but yeah, that. Yeah, so follow me for more amazing stock market tips. Uh, buy low, sell high. <laughs> um, in terms of annual spending. What do your side hustles bring in? Your side income, your little, I guess it's now it's your main job because you don't yeah, have a job. Exactly. Um, at the very beginning, I would say maybe ten to $15,000 a year. So not a lot. But I found that it's really easy. And this is one of the most surprising things to me about early retirement. It's way easier to make money than you think even after retiring, after achieving financial independence and quitting your job. So these days, I would say that our side hustle income brings in 35 to 40K a year. And that almost covers our entire expenses. And, you know, a lot of people out there will say, well, he's not really retired. He's doing work, which I mean, if your definition of retirement is literally sitting in your chair and doing nothing, um, may, maybe yelling at the neighbor kids to get off your 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 lawn. Then yeah, I'm not I'm not retired. Um, but everyone's early retirement journey lo looks different, and this is just the way ours looks, um, and it works works really well for us. How many hours a week are you spending working? Uh, I'm gonna slap down the internet retirement police and say it's none of your business what he does. <laughs> I would say 10 to 15 hours a week. So two hours a day, maybe three, maybe three hours on like a bad day. Um, I am, I am working, whether it's consulting work or whether it's doing video editing for a YouTube channel. So yeah, two to three hours a day max is what I spend doing quote unquote work that actually brings in side hustle income. I want to, I want to jump back to a philosophy thing here with this, which is you're an IT, your wife's a rocket scientist with this. You decided to um, cut bait at $920,000 in income and, and, and begin traveling with that. Do, do you have kids? We do not. We do not have we, we do not have human kids. We have dog kids, but not human kids. <laughs> okay. So, so you, you decide to, to end the, the career at that point, which I think is, is far more aggressive than a lot of other folks are comfortable with. But I also want to highlight that there's another thing here, which is that, you know, there's a risk of running out of money with this. And there's the much more probable event that the market is going to return somewhat close to long-term averages um, or even above average, right? It's much more likely that either average or above average returns happen than a cratering of the market, right? Sure. Um, uh, and what happened to you, obviously, I think it was a large market boom with this and supplemental income. So how has your net worth grown since retiring with, with this? <laughs> Our net worth as of yesterday was $1.3 million. And that's like a $400,000 increase since calling it quits. I am not going to sit here and tell you that we're genius money people and we just work ourselves out or work this out because we're just so smart. Of course not. We happen to retire at just the right time in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so um, to boost our net worth that much in that amount of time. The philosophical question, though, is, is do you recommend other people think through it and approach it with, I think, that aggressive stance, like, hey, I'm going to retire on, 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 on that level and, and, move, and move on that? Or do you think if you were doing it again and repeating the journey that you would have waited a little longer to, to build up a bigger cushion for that? For us personally, if anything, I would have retired sooner 
But I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. We know what would have happened. So yeah, we could have retired earlier, but we didn't know at, at the time. But I would certainly not recommend this aggressive of a early retirement journey to everybody. Everybody's risk tolerance is going to look different. Everybody's living expenses are going to look different. Their lifestyles are going to look, look different. I mean, we sold both of our houses and lived in an Airstream. Now we live in an off-grid house out in the middle of the Arizona desert with almost no expenses. So we keep our cost of living down so much that it helps us to justify the risk that we did take and quite frankly, continuing to take um, with our current net worth and our, and our living expenses. We know we can cut back dramatically if we have to, but a lot of people out there may not be able to do that. They might have kids. They might live in a high cost of living area. They might have health bills, you know, that it, it's just going to look so different for everybody. So I absolutely would not recommend this aggressive of a style to everybody. But what I would do is recommend that everybody sit down and determine what their number is, or at least come to, um, you know, get in, the, get in the right ballpark. So you at least know what you're aiming for. If you spend $100,000 a year, you're going to need X amount, like $4 million, for, for example, in net worth. But what if you cut that in half? What does that do to your, to your time horizon, to your career in the future? Those details are going to help you put the pieces into place now so you might be able to retire earlier than you expect. But doing that, that legwork, some of that grunt work now is really going to set yourself up to making those decisions to make your uh, your future goals happen maybe even sooner than, um, than you expected. Yeah. What I hear you saying is in the beginning of your story my job sucked the life out of me. I think that's an actual quote. It paid mm -hmm. well, but it drained the life out of me. My husband had the same kind of job. He had a lot of stress at his job. And yeah, you can spend all $135,000 that you're making and mm -hmm. have a great life with a lot of stress, but you've got two, week, two weeks of vacation a year. So, you know, you can unwind or you can look at, what spending looks like when you reduce, like what does your life look like at $50,000 a year when you're saving 50? Or what does it look like at 75 or even 100 when you're making 135? There's, you don't have to save 70% like Steve did, but what would your life look like if you could? I mean, how much stress do you have now? A little bit less, right? How much what? How much stress uh, uh, do you have? Oh, <laughs> almost. <laughs> if I have any stress, that's a bad day. So usually it's it's <laughs> it's basically no stress. <laughs> Whereas if you had stress, that was a normal day. That is very correct. Yes. Yeah. So uh, let's look at your health. For example, I've I've seem to recall you lost a couple of pounds after you quit working. Yes, I was about two hundred and seventy pounds at one point in the past, and I took off about seventy of those. Um, so right, I, I like to hover, you know, two ten, some, somewhere around there. But yeah, it's without that full time drain, without the stress, without having to get up in the morning and go to a job that you don't like. You have the entire day to do what to to shape it into something that really works for you. And for me, fitness is a huge part of my life. I have a home gym here. You can might be able to see that. Uh, behind me um, because there's no Planet Fitness or LA Fitness or Gold's Gym here out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so it's such <laughs> a big part of my life that you maintain these healthy lifestyles. And when you have the time to do these things, it's no longer a chore. It's not, it's no longer something that you just have to fit in before dinner or, or whatever, or before work, you just do it whenever it makes sense to you, whenever you have the time and when you don't have that job, guess what? You always have the time. What, what is, can you, can you walk us through the, your day-to-day -day life upon graduating or retiring from, from work and how that's evolved over the past, I think, five years, four years that you've been retired here? What, what, what has that looked like for you? What does that journey look like from a happiness and lifestyle perspective? It's looked remarkably the same inside or outside of the Airstream. We've always been early morning people, so we get up around 6 a.m., um, 
take the dogs out for a nice long two mile walk as it helps with them wear them out. And of course, getting more steps, there's nothing wrong with that. I average 15 to 20,000 steps a day. So that's, that's obviously a, a good habit to, to get into and stay there. Um, and then I come back, maybe do some, some work on the computer. If I'm going to, you know, if, if I'm consulting with somebody, I might do something for them or I might, you know, hang out on Twitter and see what's going on there or film some videos for our YouTube channel. Really the morning is my, my like ultra productive, deep work, ultra focused, however you, you, you want to say it, that's really where I get the most productive work done during my day. Um, then after lunch, it's like a clean, clean slate. I could basically do what, you know, whatever makes sense to me, whether, whether that's more exercising, going for another walk, playing on the computer again. I mean, for me, I'm very internally motivated, so I give myself a lot of projects, whether it's a web-based app or something else I'm building, writing an ebook. I can find things productive to do with my time, and in the afternoon tends to be when I do those sort of things. When it's about four o'clock, we stop everything. We put down the cell phones, get away from our computers. We have our happy hour, take a drink outside of the patio and watch the clouds go by and maybe play with the dogs a little bit until, until dinner. So it's really a very free flowing, very little structure, which for us works. But for a lot of people, you you you'll probably need that structure. Um, but for us, more of a free flowing lifestyle just works great for us. Wait, what you kind of said there almost to me sounds like a lot of self-imposed structure. It's the structure you want. You wake up at six, you walk the dogs, you do some work in the mornings around sure, yep. some of those, some of the big goals, and then you have a four o'clock happy hour and dinner, all that kind of stuff. But it's, it sounds wonderful with that. But I, I, I'm gathering that you're a fairly disciplined person in a general sense, and that this, this has not been. A, I'm going to play video games and pack on. 100 pounds <laughs> um, in, in retirement. It's no. I'm gonna. I'm going to take care of my, my mind, my body, my, my life. And, and each day is better than the last kind of thing. He packed on the hundred pounds before he left before. Yeah. <laughs> and I only say that because I know Steve in real life and he's incredibly fit. So when I first read that you had lost a lot of weight, I was like, wow, he used to be fat. I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. He used to be out of shape. <sighs> yes. It's, I, I still have my driver's license from when I first moved out here to Arizona. And that's when I was 270, 275. I, I have purposely kept my driver's license around. I haven't updated it as like a, a reinforcement that I'm on the right track here. I'm making the right decisions. Uh, this, this, this is worth it. The time I spend in the gym um, and walking it's worth it because it's improving my life. It's making my lifestyle better. And that's really why we've done all this to make our lives better. Where did you travel in the Airstream? All over the country. So we've been from New York, the Finger Lakes, all the way to Washington State, down here to Arizona, and over to, uh, I think, um, Alabama is Longmont, the Colorado. farthest. Longmont, Colorado. Yep, yep, yep. I loved it there. That was so great. Um, but yes, that we've been good. almost all over the place. Um, it was it was a very freeing lifestyle, very fun. Got to see a lot, but there's some downsides to to the to the um, RV lifestyle as well. How, how long did that continue for? We lived full time in the Airstream for three years um, until I just got. I wanted a little bit more space. I was sharing my office, my office with the kitchen, and long term, <laughs> I just couldn't see myself continuing to do that. So yeah, we we had to make a change. So how does an early retiree go about changing from that lifestyle to buying a home? How do you select a place to live from anywhere in the country and all that kind of stuff? What did that process look like? Well, for us, it was super interesting. Believe it or not, we met somebody on YouTube, somebody who wrote in, commented on one of our videos. I think it was about how to use an AeroPress to make coffee. It was something completely innocent. He knew we were in Tucson. He was down here. He commented on one of our videos. We met up. We went down to see his place. And he, he bought 20 acres of land for $7,000. And it's like, holy mother, that is awesome. That much land for that cost, that's incredible. And that's really, I guess, the first time that, we, that that seed was like planted in our heads. Like maybe... Maybe it would be nice to have some land somewhere that we never have to call and make a reservation for. We just show up. It's our place. We can do whatever do whatever we want. 
And that was back in 2018, I think. So over the next year, we noodled with that a little bit more. And then it sort of morphed into, well, what if we built a small house there? So maybe we just take a break from the Airstream a little bit, um, live maybe in the, the winters there, and then you know venture out during the summer. And that just slowly started to expand into, what if we just change our lifestyle? We live there full time and occasionally go out in the Airstream. And that's ultimately what, what we came around to doing. Um, but finding cheap land in a really beautiful place, that's really what set this whole whole settle down plan in, into motion, where we can keep our lifestyle super so, low um, and live almost as cheap, cheaply as we want. So can you can you walk us through that that purchase? Did you purchase the land and then build a house? Did you build it yourself or, or how did that how that work? And how close is it to other things? Because I'm <laughs> we, thinking of like water and electricity. Yep. We bought seven acres, sight unseen, did not set foot on this piece of property when we bought it. There was a 640 square foot house with a garage, and I'm in the garage now that we converted into a into an office. So essentially, our square footage has expanded. Um, but our friend who lives in the area who we met on YouTube went over to take a look at the house for us. So at least somebody saw it before we bought it. But we paid $72,000. 72,000 for seven acres and a house completely off grid. Um, so the second we moved here, well, we saw this place for, for the first time in 2019, we upgraded the solar. So we have 3,700 watts of solar power feeding into some lithium batteries we have inside. Um, so that provides all the power. It's Arizona. So we have sun almost every single day of the year. So we have so much power. We could run Instapots, we can run microwaves. I have my computers and external monitors. We don't really have to sacrifice living out here. Uh, we just installed a well for water. Uh, previously, we were doing rain catchments. So we were catching our own rainwater off the roof, fun funneling it into a freshwater tank, filtering it. And then that's what we were using at our sinks and showers and things like that. Um, so that's expanded a little bit with our own well. We have a septic on site. So we are so self-contained. Um, and that's really what allows us to live as cheap as possible. We have zero u utility bills, and that helps a lot. This, this sounds like an engineer's dream. Uh, this <laughs> In many ways, it is figuring out all this. <laughs> how about How about internet? Do you have just satellite on that? Um, we are waiting. I am waiting anxiously for Starlink and I'm not a patient person. So I've been cursing Elon Musk under my breath for the last few months. I need Starlink here. But until that happens, we have a Verizon jetpack with an unlimited, a grandfathered unlimited plan. So we're not throttled. Um, so that's how we get internet. That's how I'm, I'm recording this podcast with you. And that's really where our internet comes from at this point. Where is the nearest grocery store? It's we have a small store about 20 minutes away, but like the nearest Safeway or the nearest Walmart, that's like 45 minutes away. And just a second, just a second. I know that sounds horrifying. It would take you almost an hour each way to get to the grocery store. But I found that we actually drive less out here than we do in a city because every time we venture out, we do everything. We do everything that, that we need to do in that trip. Then we come back and we don't leave the house for literally days. We make lists so we don't forget anything. Um, so if anything, we actually drive less here than we did before. So that's pretty cool. Even though every time we do venture out, it's, it's a longer drive <laughs> for sure. What is, um, what's next for this? Do you have like a next adventure planned or you kind of settled down here for a while or we've given that a lot of thought. Like, do we start traveling again or maybe we don't do that? We really don't miss the RV lifestyle enough to want to go back to it full time. So we don't think that's going to happen. I think the next thing for us is to find a summer home. So we get to escape Arizona during the heat of the summer. Um, for this summer, we rented an Airbnb in Oceanside, California, just to test how that would, how that would work. 
it was beautiful. It was great. We would definitely do that again. So, you know, what do we do? Do we buy a summer place, you know, on the Oregon coast or do we continue renting Airbnbs or VRBOs, whatever? Or maybe we travel internationally. We're not exactly sure how that's going to work out yet. Um, but I think that's going to be our next major initiative, I think, figuring out what we do in the summer to escape the heat because it is hot. We do have an AC here, like one of those portable ACs that we can move around and run, but that's pretty taxing on our solar system. Uh, we have some EVAP coolers in place that are way better for power, but uses a lot of water. So there's even that trade-off too. So we're, we're, we're learning as we go here, um, but we're not exactly sure what the future holds, but we have, we're, we're pretty positive people. So we, we always have a smile on our face. We know you've heard it before. Cash flow is getting very hard to find. There's always long distance investing, but you may be thinking, I don't have a team, enough experience, or the market knowledge to get in. That's where you're wrong. And it's also where Rent to Retirement comes in. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest out of state with confidence. They've got single family, multifamily, new build, and syndication opportunities across multiple markets. They even have bird deals with immediate equity. Rent to Retirement helps investors learn how to build a bulletproof business plan with the best investment and tax strategies around to help you reach financial freedom through real estate. There's no excuse not to get started in real estate investing when you have the right team and systems already in place. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com BP. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. So let's talk about post-fi life uh, 
pre-retirement, what did you think it was going to be? And how is it the same and how is it different? Because I'm sure all of your plans didn't didn't come true all at once. Yeah, it was certainly a journey. Um, I think that it's it was in some cases it was easier, but in some cases it it wasn't. So after early retirement, I just kind of I thought that I would spend all this time basically doing doing nothing, doing just sitting or finding something to do basically, and I found that to be harder to do than I thought. And if you don't have hobbies before you early retire, that's going to be a big, 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 big problem because there's a bell curve when you retire. That's a, there's a bell curve. So right when you first quit your job that you don't like, your happiness skyrockets, right? It just goes up for the next several days or maybe weeks. You're just, you could not be happier, but then it slowly starts to taper off. It crests at the top. It's like, okay. Uh, watching Netflix for 10 hours a day, that was kind of cool, but I'm kind of getting tired of this. What am I going to do with my life? And then your happiness, if you don't find that next thing to do, begins to dip back down to maybe where you were before, before you, you know, before you, you quit your job and retired early. So you need to avoid the bell curve. It needs to be more of like a linear progression. Um, and finding that that purpose in your life is going to be so darn critical. And like I said before, I'm a very internally motivated person. So I will write. I'll do a lot of blogging. I wrote an ebook. We did a lot, a lot of traveling for the first three years. So that kept us very busy. Um, I had a YouTube channel that we were running. So that, again, kept us pretty busy. Um, but... If you think that if you think that's going to be easy to find things to do after you retire and you're not currently doing those things now, I think that's going to be a bit of a surprise for you. It's not going to be the it's not going to be as easy as you think. And the problems that you're going through might actually get worse, especially if they're relationship problems before you retire, all that time with you and your spouse in the same home after you retire, those things might actually get worse and not better. So I think the, the, the best advice that I would give people as they're leaning into early retirement or thinking about how that might work for them is don't by any means assume that early retirement is going to make your problems go away. Because unless you have a firm grasp on what makes you happy, they're probably going to get worse. I, I think that's a, that's an that, that's awesome context. I think that there's it's a process. Not if, if you could, the more you can make it a process rather than event. Is sure. what I'm hearing the, the sure. better off you might be in in terms of that that transition away from work. Um, w one question I had for you about this is I think that a number of folks that we've talked to who have been retired for a long period of time have adopted what I would say are very unusual lifestyles to a certain degree, right? By definition with this, right? Sure. Um, you, you're, you're, you've built a house and you have, uh, you electrify it with solar power from this and you capture rainwater and you're installing a well and doing all this stuff custom, I imagine, and have mm -hmm. a very unique setup for your needs with that kind of stuff. We've talked to, um, you know, I know, I know Mr. Money Mustache has done a lot of, um, very custom things with his home and, and, and environment and that kind of stuff. We know a couple of folks who are very into hydroponics, for example, that, that are, um, that, that are, uh, retired early. We know, um, of folks that do house sitting as a way to, to, to facilitate their travel while, while, while with that. Um, have you observed that among maybe your peers and friends who are also financially independent early in life, that there's a, a unusual, not unusual, but maybe this, um, the environment of Phi directs people to really build a very specific day-to-day uh, -day life and environment that's conducive to that, that may be wildly different from what we're used to as full-time workers with this, renting an apartment or whatever it is. Yeah, I think the earlier that you retire, the more likely you are to find those more unique, I guess, ways of living. I have, I, I know um, somebody who retired and moved to Panama. His name is Jim. He blogs at Route to Retire. He, that's, that's a very interesting 
um, way to, to go about this as well. Just move internationally and be an, be an expat for a while. Um, I know others who adopted the RV lifestyle like, like we did. They happen to still be RVing. Um, but others do the off-grid lifestyle like, like we are. Um, a lot of, a lot of international travel, a lot of just seeing things that, that you didn't ordinarily get to see when you worked a full-time job. And the most, the majority of your time was spent working that job, your world. And I know this might sound cliche or, or, or something, but your world really does expand once you get to the point of early retirement, because you no longer have that draw on your brain for at least 10 hours a day. And for many of you, you probably take your work home with you. So just because you leave the office doesn't mean you're not thinking about work. So when that, when that work is gone, when you no longer have that draw, everything just becomes a possibility and you get to try new things and figure out what works best for you. If you were to tell me five years ago that I'd be living in an off-grid house out in the middle of the Arizona desert with nobody within miles around, I would have called you bat. Well, I would have called you crazy, um, but that's just the way it worked out because we had the time to research it. We really adopted this lifestyle and we fell into it. Um, so, so yeah, I think the earlier that you retire, the more opportunity you have to really accept the world around you, do some, do some more exploring, experimenting, just to see what really works for you and your family. So let's go back a few years before you're retired. You knew you were going to retire. How did you approach leaving your job? What did the days and months and you know years leading up to the day that you quit look like? A lot of reading I did before um, giving my notice. I would say is, you know, now, you know, that there's an end in sight. So all those petty little things about your job just no longer bother you. No, absolutely no. At least not for me. In fact, they became worse because I did have that light at the end of the tunnel and I wasn't yet there. I still had months to go before I actually reached that point. So I gave my boss, I happened to work for a boss who was very reasonable, very understanding. Believe it or not, I gave him six months notice. Not everyone's going to be able to do that, but I gave him six months notice that I was going to leave. It was in June, I think, and I was, I, I was going to leave in, in December of that year, in 2016. Um, so that worked fine. There was no like hostility or bad blood between us. It was, it was just, you know, it was, it was normal. Um, but the things that bothered me about my job, the things that really made me want to early retire, strangely enough, they actually got worse after I gave my notice because I wasn't at that finish line, but there was a finish line, but it wasn't yet there. So that, that delta, that space between, okay, I'm going to do this. Everybody knows I'm going to do this. And when I actually get to set foot, you know, leave the, the virtual office for that, for that last time, it was, it was great. I don't know. I hate to say the word grueling, but it might, I might actually use that, that word in this context. It was, it was rough. It was rough. Cause I really did not like my job that well. Um, so it was, <laughs> I just keep coming back to that word. It was grueling for me. Yeah. It's you, you've got this, like the end is in sight and I can't wait to get there, but in order to get there, I have to go through all this and all this was, was, not fine. It was terrible, which made you want to quit. But all that was fine when you didn't have the the end in sight. But now that there's a hard and fast end, all of this is infinitely worse. Exactly. So exactly. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. It's like okay, I hear what I'm saying. Yeah, maybe it's August, and it's like yeah, I'm quitting in five months. But that still that doesn't mean I don't get to go on my next business trip and solve some some stupid complex problem for a customer I don't care about and don't want to solve. I still have to do that. I still have to do that. Really didn't giving that notice didn't change anything. Um, yeah, it just made it worse. Strangely enough. <laughs> well, Steve, I'm, we're jumping all over the place here just because we were peppered you with questions. No worries. Once, so no thank worries. you for, for answering everything. Sure. Um, what what is your annual spending now? Is it more or less than at the time of retirement or or, uh, or in the RV stages? It is almost double 
what it was before because the market is good. We base our spending based on the stock market because we're so heavily invested in the stock market. So the market's been good. So we probably spend sixty, $65,000 a year now, which for us is a whole ton of money. So we're doing some things like the Airbnb. We spent like $6,500 for a month or something to rent that house for, for, for a month. Um, but we feel justified to do that because the market's doing well. We might as well live large when the market's up. Because we know that when the market's down, we're not going to be doing those things. So we might as well enjoy those things while we can. Oh, got it. Okay. So, so, so the, the travel is the big thing then for your spending, but you're, it sounds, how about this? Could, in the event that the market did poorly, what mm-hmm. do you think your floor of spending would be to continue your, your happy lifestyle right now? Sure. Probably 25 to 30. The majority of our spending is discretionary which might frighten a lot of people. It's like, why are you spending all that much much money when you don't have to? Well, there's two reasons. One, the market's up, so we can right now. And two, when the market's not so great, we have that buffer. We have all that money that we could stop spending to you know get back down to our base level of spending. It's not going to be great. It's not going to be happy. We're going to, you know, we, we might hate some things as we cut back when the market does dip and we all know it's going to dip. Um, but living out here, you know, in the Arizona desert with no, with, with no utilities, you know, we could probably get by with 25 or 30 K of yearly spending and be just fine. Well, and let's say that all of your side income dries up, you spend all your 60 to 80, Mm -hmm. uh, 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 bank account and the market has tanked so much that you don't want to sell stocks. Could you go back and get a job? I could go back and get a job. I'm not going to get the same job, but you know what? If you have a marketable skill, I don't care what anybody tells you. You're never going to be able to get your job back. Well, it's true that you may not be able to get your same job back, but that doesn't mean you can't get some job just as a stopgap to you uh, to allow you to replenish your funds back to a more comfortable level. If you have a marketable skill, you are always going to have a job. That's the way the economy works. Yes, and your wife is a rocket scientist. They don't just make those on trees. Uh, exactly. They don't grow on trees. She, it was any math, science, technology kind of, I mean, especially those kinds of disciplines, but even a mechanic, everybody needs car work, a plumber, half of them don't even return your calls because they have so much work to do. Electricians, there's so many opportunities out there, so much work that people need done. There's, there's almost, there's always going to be a way for you to make money if you think that you need to. That's what I wanted you to say. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Steve, what, what else? What else should we be asking you uh, before we kind of wrap up and go to the, the famous four here? Um, I when I tell my story, it comes across to some people as this guy retired at thirty five. Look at him; you can do the same thing, but. That's not true at all. When I tell my story, I don't want people to, I don't want it to come across as this guy retired at 35. That's really not the point here. The point, the larger point that I always want to get across is it's not about retiring at 35. It's not about retiring at 45 or some of some set age. It's about understanding what makes you happy where you are now and where you want to be in the future. Before all of this took place, my wife and I took walks with our dogs and we talked about our future. This is right after we first got married and we understood what was going to make us happy in the future. We understood what we were gunning for, what the end goal was. And if you don't have that end goal, it's going to be impossible to put the pieces into place. You're just going to continue going to work every day, coming home, having dinner, doing the same thing, repeat, 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 and you never really get anywhere. But if you have that end goal, something that you and your spouse or just you want to do in the future, that is the that is always going to be the very first step to improving your life. So if you retire at 55, that's still early retirement or 50, 45, 59, whatever, whatever that that looks like to you. I want people to take away from my story the the um, I guess the beauty of understanding what makes you happy and putting the pieces into place to get you there because the government should not be um, determining the age that you retire. 65 doesn't necessarily need to be the age. 
I think we're all we're all aligned on that. That's that's the whole point, right? Is is money is a a tool to to get toward you get you that that you need to master to some degree to move towards a life vision or a end goal that you want, and it's everything should be backing in from that vision. Um, I, and and you guys crushed it in two three years. Um, uh, once you once you set your minds to it because of. A, a lot of great work that you've done leading up to that and the great, great advantages and those types of things. And now you're reaping the rewards for the next 50 years um, of that by doing exactly what you want and a unique twist. Yeah. Well, as, as I like to say, money is like my, money is like my first boss. It's a tool. And if you use it in the right way, it's going to make you happy. It's just, it's just <laughs> that simple. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Well, with that, let's uh, let's move on. On to that note, <laughs> I don't think I don't think Scott got it. I did Money's get like it. my first Money is boss. Like a tool. <laughs> did you His like first your first boss? boss? Was a tool. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, Steve. We are moving on to the famous four, which are the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. What is your favorite finance book? It was The Millionaire Next Door by the late Dr. Thomas Stanley. It really opened my eyes to the way real wealthy, not just high income earners, wealthy people live. I've read that book several times. Um, I'm in the process right now of reading The Next Millionaire Next mm -hmm. Door, um, uh, which I had, I had not gotten get a chance to read. So that, that book definitely influenced me as well. What was your biggest money mistake? I would say the best money mistake was buying my first home. And that's a mistake only for me. Usually real estate's going to work out well for you, but I happened to buy in February of 2007. And if you look at real estate prices, when they peaked, it was February of 2007. From the day I set foot in that house, it was never worth what I paid. And, you know, to get your money out, out of real estate, you really got to be there for a while. So yes, I could have recouped that you know, it, things would have normalized, um, but I lost a lot of money on that house. It's just the, just the way it worked out for me at the time. I bought one in September of 06. So not a oh, lot more. Not a lot. Yeah. Before it crashed. Yeah. <sighs> yes. Good times. Good times. Oh, absolutely. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? My best piece of advice is understand what you want in the future. Understand that end goal, that light at the end of the tunnel Give that a lot of serious thought. Know what that means to you. Because without that, like, like I said before, without knowing where you're going, you're never going to get there. And most people, believe it or not, most people don't have an understanding of where they're going. But if you do, that's going to set you set yourself up to put these pieces into place uh, far more easily um, than, than it would otherwise. Mindy, what's the episode where we talk about the money date? Scott, that would be episode 157 of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. What, what Steve is saying here is so important is to put set a vision or understand what you want in the future. And I think that that's a challenge for a lot of people who have never actually sat down and done that. Like, you know, you go through life, you go to college because, you know, Sean from high school says that's a good college and that's where you want to go, you know, and then you get a job because that's the first interview you took and you end up in a state you didn't predict and, and all this stuff happens to you. But once you put together a plan and where you want to get to and exactly what you want and iterate on it, on it a hundred times until it stops moving, um, that's when you take control of your life and begin working towards that. And so episode 157 might be a good one to go back and re-listen to if you still don't have have a clear vision of where you want to get to in life because it's a process to figure out that vision for most of us. It's not a, I know it immediately. Like Steve went through a three-year process on the RV uh, to figure out that he wanted to be in Arizona with that. And it may evolve from here to a next phase over the next 10 years with that kind of stuff. But having a vision is so important because at least you're choosing that instead of it happening to you. So great advice, Steve. Um, what is your favorite joke to tell at parties? Um, my favorite joke to tell at parties, I would say it's probably, it's probably a dad joke. Like I don't trust stairs. They're always up to something. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. That's I, I'll, I'll come up with a good pun in my head later, but I missed that. I missed the response retort to that. So wow, <laughs> All right, Steve, Scott. where could people find out more about you? Uh, I am online at steveadcock.us. I also have a Twitter account. I maintain heavily at Steve on speed. 
the on-speed part comes from when I owned a Corvette back in a previous <laughs> life. So that's all that reference means. Steve on speed on Twitter. And those are the two main oh areas to, to find me. <laughs> I I, sorry, I created that account in 2009, so I was in a very different headspace at that point. <laughs> oh, I don't know why I'm laughing so hard. That's hilarious, Steve on Speed. I'm Mindy on Crack at Twitter.com. Just Boom. kidding, I'm not. I'm Mindy. Um, okay. <laughs> Steve, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I really appreciate you sharing your story because I think we don't hear enough from people who have reached financial independence and what their life looks like afterwards. And I think your advice to have a plan is, in my own experience, since my husband's retired, so on point. If you don't know what you're going to do, you're not going to do anything. Well, thanks very much, Mindy. I appreciate you guys having me on. I really enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. Okay, Steve, we will talk to you soon. Have a great day. Perfect. You too. Whew, Scott, that was Steve Adcock. What did you think of his show? I, I really enjoyed it. I think I learned a lot about what life is like or what is possible following early retirement. I think that they've got complete command of their financial situation. Like we mentioned in the intro, they just rocketed towards financial independence um, in like two or three years and then chosen a pretty aggressive early retirement strategy um, with that at, at, I think, a lower level of spending than we maybe had heard from other folks on, but man, what a, what a great life, what a great day to day they've built for themselves and what they enjoy and what incredible options they have. Um, so I, I thought it was a fascinating glimpse into somebody who's actually been living a retired lifestyle for a number of years here who completed the journey and has abided by many of the, 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 rules, the soft rules, at least that we have in the, in the, in the financial independence space. Yeah. And, uh, internet retirement police stand down because it's okay that he's making a little bit of money in retirement. Um, I love his quote near the end without knowing where you're going, you're never going to get there. If you are considering the financial journey, if you are, uh, if you're considering the financial journey, everybody's got a financial journey. If you're considering financial independence, Sit down either with yourself or if you have a partner, sit down with your partner and look at what you want your life to be. Let's say you won the lottery tomorrow. You don't need money. You don't need to work for money. What do you want to do with your life? And I don't know is a valid answer, but don't, you know, don't retire until you know. Um, I really think that having a goal to get to is great, but then having a plan once you get to that goal is the most important part of this whole story. Scott, I want to ask our listeners for a favor. One of the ways that you discover new podcasts is from family and friends recommendations. So as you listened to this episode today, did anybody in your life stick out? Did you hear anybody? Did you, did you think of anybody while you were listening to Steve tell his story? And if that's the case, can you please share this episode with them? I'd really like to help more people on their journey to financial independence and help them discover the concept of financial independence. So if you could just take a moment to share this episode or any one of our past episodes, your favorite episode with your friends who could best benefit from it most, that would be lovely. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank Scott, you. We, we love the, we, we, we always love it when you share the episodes in this or any other episode that you think is relevant to somebody else in their financial journey. That would be very helpful and much appreciated. We would love that. Okay, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 227 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, gotta go, friend. This has to end. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals 
enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.